Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Blog Talk Radio, uh, Snake Oil Radio, and this is your host, Jim Ventura. I uh, hope everyone's doing all right today. Uh, basically, give you a little description about what uh, Snake Oil Radio is about. I am a, a writer and also an oracle reader. Um, and basically, I have uh, I've written a book called Dirty Little Secrets. I'm actually in the process of getting my second book published, which is uh, Snake Oil Volume 1. It's a collection of my columns that I began to write uh, through blogs and email uh, back in late 2003. So I've got quite a few since I do this monthly. Uh, if you're interested in getting my monthly column, it is free. You can just email me at uh, Ventura Sag. Uh, V-E-N-T-U-R-A-S-A-G at yahoo.com. And Snake Oil Radio is basically, usually I will uh, actually read the column that was written for the month, and then I go into a little bit more detail about it. Uh, basically, uh, Snake Oil, the concept comes from the idea that I have studied a lot of different philosophies, including channeling and all kinds of uh, metaphysical uh, perspectives for quite some time and have gathered a lot of knowledge about uh, this subject of uh, metaphysics. And this applies to just about every area of life. And some really brilliant tools I've studied, including Tarot and Runes and uh, Lakota Indian philosophy and astrology and numerology. And many of my shows will begin to talk about uh, these type of uh, dynamics uh, according to um, the way I see things and also from the, these brilliant philosophies that we've picked up uh, from uh, other cultures and other times and places that have incorporated into the way I see and view life. The uh, snake oil concept really was my own sort of inside joke about many people referring to me as a snake oil salesman because I do talk a lot about alternative medicine and alternative thought and viewing life from a uh, more empowered perspective, which to a lot of the average uh, person uh, would be uh, called uh, their version of snake oil. So that said, that's a bit about uh, what Snake Oil Radio is about. I'm going to uh, read my uh, this month's column now. And if anybody, uh, about 15, 20 minutes into this 45-minute show, if anyone is interested in calling in, uh, the phone number here, if you are live and listening to the broadcast, is 646 200 3966. Uh, I'll give you that number again in about 20 minutes or so uh, when I am uh, able to start to take calls. I guess anybody wants to comment or ask questions about the topic that our snake oil is about this month. So let's get started. The night my father died. Actually, the title of this essay isn't entirely accurate because the recent death of my father occurred in the morning. When I flew back home after his memorial service in North Carolina, I could not get the song The Night Chicago Died by Paper Lace out of my head. It must have been a combination of flying into Chicago on my connection flight and the lines of the song I heard my mama cry 
heard her pray the night Chicago died. Songs get caught in my head at the oddest times. The death of a parent is an inevitable reality for all of us. Not only do we all die, but it's especially common to experience the death of one's father. Men tend to have shorter lifespans than women do. My mother frantically called one of my sisters with the news when Dad passed. She had just returned from Walmart with my father in the passenger seat. He fell asleep in the car, which was very commonplace. So she unloaded her packages and walked her dog. She came back a few minutes later to find Dad still sleeping. Only he wasn't just sleeping. He had fallen asleep and had simply never woke up. It was a mad scramble for all of my six siblings and their spouses and children to get to North Carolina on such short notice. Orchestrating this feat was quite the task. Getting appointments moved around, purchasing flights, finding transportation, airport pickups, lodging, and a host of other details required some doing. As soon as it, all of it began, I decided it was a good time to pull a Viking runestone for guidance. I quieted my mind and asked the oracle for a message to help me maneuver through this difficult time. The runestone I pulled was Rado reversed. It means journey, union, and reunion. Loosely quoted from the Book of Runes by Ralph Blum. Expect ruptures in relationships. What you regard as detours, inconveniences, disruptions, and even failures and deaths will actually be rerouting opportunities with union and reunion as the only abiding destinations. As usual, the runes were not only incredibly accurate, but surprisingly comforting. I wondered, how do people who don't have access to oracles live life without them? Not surprisingly, a flight ended up delayed six hours due to a rain during a connection flight in Washington, D.C. Many flights were delayed, so it was chaos at the airport. My sister and I probably drove my brother-in-law, who was supposed to pick us up at the Charlotte airport, nuts, right along with us, with the constant changes to when we were going to arrive. In addition, we still had a four-hour drive to Myrtle Beach, where my mom and dad's house is ahead of us from there. There were more than a few obstacles for all of us. Still, we all made it to Mom's by Monday so that we could attend the memorial mass at her church on Tuesday. Through all of the confusion, we also had some things that worked in our favor. For me, my business was slow that week. So it was a minimal juggle to get away at the time. My sister and I were able to get really good prices to get into Charlotte. Considering the short notice, we were shocked to find that our tickets were fairly reasonable. While there is never a good time for death, this was far less problematic than I would have imagined. Two weeks before this was our yearly family reunion. We all stayed in a beach house that one of my sisters owns in Myrtle Beach. We had a great time, even though we all noticed the obvious fact that our 78-year-old father was not looking well. My normally big, fat, happy Italian dad looked frail and quite sickly. He had a number of physical problems that were catching up with him. At the time, I had, as I knew it would be, my final talk with my father. He told me he was having panic attacks and also felt like he couldn't breathe. He had been on oxygen for the last six years, asbestosis of the lungs, 
and even with that, he was struggling. In the most diplomatic way I could say it, I told him, Dad, when it is time to lay down and pass into spirit again, simply let yourself do it without struggling. You have done well in this life. Mom has taken care of financially, and all of your children are doing well. A few months before this, my brother's wife gave birth to a baby boy that looks like a miniature version of my father. I knew that my family was not quite as comfortable as I am with public speaking, so I volunteered to speak at my father's memorial mass. I mentally wrote what I would say about my father in my head for hours the night before his service. The traditional Catholic funeral mass my mother had set up was actually nicer than I expected. While traditional religious services are not for me, I could see how they could be a real comfort to the people who needed them. Friends and cousins I had not seen in many years showed up. Handling the difficult emotions that arose was the most difficult part of our trip. I got choked up myself quite a few times. My emotional reactions were less about how sad I was that my father was gone and more about how touched I was by the tremendous level of kindness and caring demonstrated by everyone around us. The levels of human sensitivity and compassion that we are capable of sharing as a species when crisis and the universal experience of death of a loved one occurs is touching beyond words. While I was in the church, my heart was racing. I was a little nervous about saying some words about my dad. This combined with a very normal sense of grief was actually a bit excruciating. But it seemed that there was still one detour ahead. I got snubbed at the church. The priest never asked me to come up and speak about my dad. We met for a memorial lunch at the clubhouse in the retirement village where my parents live right after the service. A number of the women in the complex prepared a buffet of food and drink that was phenomenal. My mother had a built-in support group all around her. My opportunity to say a few words about my father was rerouted. I stood up after everyone ate and finally got to do what I'm really good at. I mentioned how thankful all of us were that mom had such amazing friends all around her for support. I thanked all of my extended family and everyone being there for us. It was easy to say nice things about my father. He was a friendly, kind, likable, chatty Gemini man whom everyone seemed to love. Many of my friends often told me how they wished they had a father like mine. Considering the difficulties with providing for a large family, he was a really great dad. I pulled off an excellent speech about my dad. I made my audience laugh a little and cry a little. The coup de grace for a writer and a public speaker. A number of his friends came up to tell me how touched they were by my speech and how much they missed and loved my dad. We only stayed for another day or so before we went back home to our normal lives again. This second reunion, while sad, was also somewhat enjoyable. It was very similar to the reunion we had a few weeks before, only this time I'm guessing my dad was there with us in spirit as opposed to the physical. We ate way too much, played Texas Hold'em with my niece and nephews, and talked about our lives and how lucky we were to have a dad for as long as we did. In our American culture, we often see it as a compliment to say, he or she had a good life. There was no question that my father had a good life. In ancient Rome, it was customary to say, may you have a good death. My father got to see his whole family together for the last time, two weeks before he died. He sat 
at the head of, of our ridiculously large table of 19 people at dinner in one of his favorite restaurants. For the last time, he got to see the happy, healthy family he helped to create. He watched us laughing, eating, and enjoying each other's company. He was already beginning to drift away from this world, but you could still see the pride in his eyes. He died in his sleep two weeks later. He not only had a good life, but he also had a good death. What more can any of us ever ask for? The ultimate criteria to me of a successful life is simple. Did you bring even a little more love into this world than was here before you got here? In my dad's case, the answer is, without a doubt, yes. Okay, so now that I've finished reading my, uh, my snake oil, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the responses I've gotten so far um, from this particular uh, column that have been uh, in some ways a little bit overwhelming. Uh, I think I probably got more responses on this particular column than almost any column I have written, and we're looking at about 40-something columns uh, since late 2003 that I've written. So this one was kind of a biggie. I think a lot of people really were um, uh, affected by this, uh, whether they have had a death of a, a family member that has already occurred or they were dealing with this triggering um, fear and or even just an awareness of this potential happening for them in the near future as well. Uh, definitely seemed to trigger a lot for a number of people. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, my perceptions of death and, and also a little bit more about what kind of went down uh, during this particular trip and this experience with the death of my father because I have had quite a few questions about this. Uh, if anybody is interested and is listening to the show live, you can call in at 646-200-3966 and I will shortly uh, take callers if any uh, we have any at the moment and, and want to comment or talk about experiences around death at this stage. Uh, so uh, feel free to pop that in. Again, 646-200-3966 is the phone line for a call in. Uh, you also can uh, ask questions in the chat room if you're at the, the Blog Talk Radio uh, site. You can you can click into the chat room as well uh, if you'd like to do it that way. Some people are, are shy when it comes to talking live on the air. Uh, anyway, so this was uh, an interesting experience. I think a lot of I, I had a, a very uh, somewhat emotional reaction to the death of my father. Uh, obviously, but not quite as emotional as I think a lot of people would experience with death in this way. I had always said, even when I was a kid, that I, I guess I never had a fear of death. Honestly, when I was a child, I had memories of having lived in other lifetimes. It wasn't until I began to get older and start to talk about that that I realized that other people, well, one, thought I was nuts, and two, uh, didn't necessarily have the same memories, or they had blocked them out. Um, especially having grown up Catholic, this wasn't really the arena for talking about past lifetimes. So I guess I never really had a fear of death. I always kind of thought that I always was and I always would be, uh, that it wasn't just like a light switch that would go out. And again, I had remembered other times and places. So for me, death was not quite the scary thing I think it is for a lot of people. 
Um, I personally, I think that the experience of birth is far more traumatic and upsetting than death. You know, when you, you come into a, a physical body from spirit, you are now in a small body that's at the demands of, of temperatures and uh, all kinds of needs, and it's difficult to move that body around the way you want it to, and there's a need for the mother constantly, and uh, just a very, very difficult experience of coming from, again, being in spirit to being in a tiny little body that doesn't respond the way you'd like it to a lot because you haven't learned how to control it or use it. So honestly, to me, again, death uh, in and of itself is far less traumatic because birth in some ways is a little bit, more intense. When you die, you go back to spirit. To me, in some ways, that's also like what I call going back to the astral plane, or in many ways to the place we continually visit during the dream state every night. So we have these uh, little literal deaths every day of our life because we dream all the time and we leave our body. Sometimes people, people go out of body in that sense and have these experiences. And so death is just kind of the biggie when you're really, really ready to lay the body down in that sense and kind of go on to the next thing. You know, I think also at very, very practical levels, what's harder for people is like when you lose, I think if you lose a child or um, someone who's relatively young to illness or an accident, that can be a lot more traumatic, obviously, than the death of a somewhat elderly parent. Not that, again, it is uh, not a, a tremendous loss for people to deal with the loss of a, an elderly parent, but at least there's often a feeling there that the person had completed uh, the life task, that they had, they had time to live here and to grow and have experiences. I think when someone dies when they're 3 or, or you know, 10 or, or 35, I think there's more of a shock that occurs in that sense. But... You know, when you, if you begin to study, if any study of metaphysics will teach you that we do not just live one lifetime. We live a series of lifetimes, and each lifetime is important, and, but we have different experiences during these different lifetimes. So some of those lifetimes will involve uh, longer lifetimes where you might live to 90 or 100, and some might be shorter lifetimes where you live only through childhood, dependent on the nature and the circumstances of what the intention is for the experience that your higher self wants you to have when you come into a body in the first place. So, like, in my dad's case, uh, my dad really, I can tell a big part of my dad's life task was about really creating this family. Uh, he was with my mom uh, for 55 years, uh, uh, pretty happily married. You know, it was always a strange thing when I was growing up because I saw so many kids whose parents were not, well-suited or they had divorced or, you know, there was all kinds of difficulties that I saw. And for all intents and purposes, I grew up in a pretty stable family with a mom and dad that were really kind of glued together in the most uh, pretty much uh, ideal way by a lot of people's standards in that sense. Uh, in fact, I think in some ways at the age of 43 where I am now, I have not had a relationship at the level that my mom and dad have been able to have. I think the longest relationship I've had has been about three years uh, intimately. And, you know, my, I don't know if, if I could ever beat what my mom and dad did in that sense. Uh, of course, uh, I don't know, what, my relationships are a little bit slightly different. I say slightly because I'm gay, so in my relationship, uh, at least in Arizona, we're not legally allowed to get married, as if that would really have any bearing on, on any relationship anyway when that comes down to it. 
but again, it was really quite a high bar that was set by my parents uh, in that way. But we had a really stable childhood. Most friends, especially my male friends, kind of had or um, difficult in some ways. And I even had a number of, of friends who sometimes their dads beat them or were uh, overly critical. So I guess I, I kind of knew in some ways that I had gotten this really, really good dad in that sense. And while my father at times wasn't there because he worked so many hours to support this huge family that they had created, uh, really for the most part, when he was, he would he would interact with us, he would play with us. Again, it wasn't often, but at least he was there in that sense, and he really was a likable guy, my father. Uh, very, very funny man who would, uh, when he wasn't sleeping or working, would work on a car or something like that out in the driveway. I always remember as a kid, every time a neighbor would come by, they would stop and talk to my father, uh, much to the discomfort of my mother. My father would be standing outside talking to someone for three hours, so th my father had a likability about him that was really, really, really funny in that sense. He was just a generally friendly kind of a guy, uh, not very, very judgmental necessarily, uh, very kind of firm in his values. But we were not, we weren't hit, we weren't beaten, we weren't really severely punished. And, and you know, and the strange thing is we were relatively good kids. Uh, we, there were a few problems uh, really along the way with my siblings, uh, at least in terms of, of, of parental discipline because there was a certain amount of, I don't know what it necessarily was, we really were not that wayward by, for all intent and purposes. And I do think that had a lot to do with the stability of my father and mother. So it, it, it was, it, it really was a good thing. In fact, I had many, many a times I had had my friends say that they just wish they had had my father in that sense. Uh, so it, it was very touching to me in, in that way that I was able to have such a strong support um, and again, while everything wasn't exactly perfect, it really was good for all intent purposes. So that said, um, yeah, the loss of my dad was, was sad, but really in some ways it was expected. I had been asked by uh, a number of people uh, how I knew my dad was going to die. And it was really instinctive. I could tell that he was not going to stay in this world much longer. In fact, I had talked about it with my sister at the reunion two weeks before, and yeah, we had and we had both said, "Oh my God, I think Dad's going to go soon," and we had anticipated this happening in the uh, mid to late summer. We didn't expect it to happen two weeks later, um, but in some ways, it was probably good that it did occur that way, uh, simply because he died in his sleep. It really was he had gotten to see the whole family, he had gotten to do. You know, the last primary thing that really, really mattered to him in that sense, which was, you know, the love of his family and his wife. And his body really had been failing for a long, long time. Honestly, we never thought we would see our dad live to almost 78. Um, and that wasn't a cynical thing. It was a practical observation. He had been overweight uh, through uh, really much of his life. He didn't eat very well. He uh, had asbestosis of the lungs from his job. He had, a, he had a number of physical problems and really was a handful for my mom when, uh, because she had to take care of him. And he was, he, you know, he ended up in a rascal and he couldn't walk without a walker. He really um, had a number of physical issues. So we didn't think he would even last as long as he did. And so we were grateful that he did. So that, that was another factor that factored into the situation for us in dealing with the death of my, the death of my dad. 
So a lot of the triggers that I got from people who were uh, touched by the story was, again, partly that they were really, really touched by, by the story itself. And also, you know, it really, I think, it triggered a lot in my, my readers who, who read my blog column with looking at their own situation, whether they already had uh, the death of their father or were anticipating that occurring at some point in the game, that it was a little bit of a, you know, a scary thing to contemplate. Uh, you know, again, as I had said in the piece, you know, there really is never a good time for death in that sense. But I think what I find to be the most um, profound thing to, to recognize about this is death is a difficult experience for the people left behind and not so much for the person who physically dies. Uh, again, you leave the body, you go back into spirit, you have mobility, you have you know that connection to all that is to God again in a way that is uh, a lot easier. Uh, again, as I've said before, it's a lot harder to be alive than it is necessarily to be out of the physical. Uh, so it's leaving the people behind with those unanswered questions and that sense of, did I do enough for my father? Or, or did I do enough for my mother? Or did I do enough for my child when someone leaves? And missing them at a quite human level in that sense. When you're used to having someone as a companion, I think, again, it is really quite the, the shock and the difficulty when that person is no longer physically around you anymore uh, because you don't have the same uh, interaction that you had in that sense, and that could be very, very sad. And then I also think a lot of people struggle with uh, whether they do believe in life after death. Uh, I really do think a lot of people are uncertain about this. In fact, I always laugh, and this is part of my snake oil philosophy in the sense that I've had people say to me, well, you can say there's life after death, you can say that this is what's going to happen and this is going to happen, but you're not really going to know until you die. And I've had many, many people say that to me. And it's, I think it's really cute when I hear that type of thing because it is unquestionable to me what the experience of death is like in that sense because I remember elements of it from when I was a child. Uh, I am, to me also, we die many different times throughout our life. When you leave high school and leave school and go into college or go into the work world, that's a death. The death of your first relationship, the ending of it is a death and a change. Our bodies literally change every seven years. The cells completely are re, re-put together, and we're literally a completely different person every seven years by that transformation of the body. So we have all kinds of deaths throughout our lifetime. This is just the bigger one, and we survive each death, and we will also survive the big death, so to speak, when we leave the physical plane. The thing that people, I think, misconstrue, again, is the, the assumption that this is all there is. And that is a very myopic, blind point of view. And as, you know, one soul progresses through a series of lifetimes, you begin to have more of a clear awareness of these other elements of life and the after-death experiences and all the other experiences that we will have as we continue our path of evolution. This is just one big stop along the way. I think people often, I, I often say, you know, life can be like this one huge dream that we've intensely focused on or this one stage performance that we've gotten so involved in that we forgot that it's just a performance, that it's something that we're living now and the cast of characters and people around us are part of this experience, but we will have other ones in other times, in other places, and in other ways. 
So again, I've always had this different type of point of view toward death that does not include any level of fear and more of the idea that, you know, I, I even joke about the fact that, I mean, I would be comfortable dying now without any anxiety, but I think the reason I have um, no fear of death is probably also going to influence the fact that there's a good chance I'm going to live for a long time. At practical levels, I take care of myself, I exercise, I eat really, really well. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I jokingly say I'm a bit of a hypochondriac in the sense that I approach healing from a preventative point of view as opposed to a uh, after-the-fact perspective. So I'm always kind of on the healthy side in that sense. And again, because I don't fear death, I think that I'll probably hang in there for a while. But again, I have no discomfort. If, if my time comes a year from now, I'll go. There's no problem with that in that sense. So uh, this whole idea of death really does, again, uh, bring up a lot for people. Um, I'm going to throw in again, if there are any uh, callers that want to comment or uh, talk a little bit about their own experiences with this, uh, we still have a little bit of time for the show. The call-in number, if you're uh, listening to the show live, is 646-200-3966. So that's going to be my last shot out for anyone who wants to call and if anyone's listening to the show live. I know um, I've gotten a lot of um, uh, people tell me they listen to the show when it's archived. So uh, for most people, I think uh, broadcasting at 11 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time is where most people are at work. So anyway, uh, at any point if someone does call in, I'll, I'll put you on and we'll talk a little bit. But I want to kind of now talk a little bit also about some of the other elements of uh, perception of death that come from, from other cultures, uh, philosophies, and perspectives. One of the things that I started studying back in my uh, late teens to early 20s was the tarot. And you know, all intent and purposes, most people tarot, of course, are tarot cards. What a lot of people don't get or understand is that the tarot is not just a series of cards it is also a philosophy and a perspective. There are uh, 22 major arcana symbols within the tarot, and what those entail, and there's a lot of other cards in the, the tarot as well too, but the 22 major arcana cards are the, sort of the primary uh, archetypal themes or philosophies in that sense that, that come through uh, with the tarot, ranging from the first being the fool, the initiate, to the world or the universe card, which represents that completion or that sense of accomplishment or achievement or growth that occurs uh, as we mature and become wiser. So there are different stages along the way. One of the, one of the uh, archetypal themes within the Tro is the death card. And this is a funny thing to talk about because this is one of those type of cards that people often get very scared of when they see it in a tarot spread. I know I've had many clients kind of even say things like, oh, I'm afraid to have a tarot reading because I'm afraid I'm going to get the death card. And it doesn't surprise me that people feel this way. The movies, uh, the media, television, really, you know, this, this old famous uh, scene is where the, the, the scary uh, soothsayer, tarot card reader, psychic, lays out cards for somebody and the death card comes out and the reader gasps and she puts the cards away and says, I can't talk to you anymore. Um, that's all well and good from a theatrical perspective to entertain people and, and scare the crap out of them a little bit. But truth be told, 
if you study the tarot, you know that the death card doesn't mean that at all. There are cards in the tarot deck that represent difficult experiences. Strangely enough, the death card is not one of them. So again, total misperception. Uh, I'll say a little bit about what that means, but I also want to mention that the same connotation occurs with the number 13. The death card in the tarot, from a from numerology perspective, is the number 13, which people have this thing about Friday the 13th and 13 being an unlucky number. I mean, this, most buildings don't even have a 13th floor built. They skip that because they don't want the unluckiness of the 13. This is, again, really, really comical because it shows a lack of awareness or understanding about what, what the number 13 represents. It is associated with the death card in that sense, and the tarot as well. So it has a lot to do with the idea of uh, death refers to liberation and transformation. Um, really, the, the symbolism of the, 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 the death character on the horse is a little bit scary, but really, in actuality, the death card in a separate position in a tarot spread actually means a welcome change, new beginnings, emotional growth, and transformation. So really, it actually represents that transition from one area of life to another one. You know, for instance, if you, are, uh, if you raise children as a mother and your children all grow up and go away to college or to jobs or move away, that is a death that you've experienced because you, you, you lose the, um, the persona of being a mother and that role that you've taken and you have to move to another level in your life. I know for some women, they will work again, or they will get involved in volunteer work, or they will uh, work with children in another way, or they'll go into a completely different area, maybe becoming an artist or a real estate salesman or anything else for that matter. Um, it represents that, that ending of one cycle and the beginning of a new one. So while at times we may mourn the loss of the ending of a cycle, more often than not, the death card is really a reminder that we're beginning a new stage. And it's really common for people to be afraid when there is change because we don't always know exactly what that's going to be in that sense. And again, that is really what the death card brings up in the tarot. So the same thing is occurring even when, when people go to the, the more extreme level of dying physically in that sense. It's more of a fear about the situation that has little to do with any real awareness necessarily of what the, where the, the deceased person is going. Now, another thing that I have found out uh, personally as well as through talking to a lot of clients about this is, you know, a lot of people lose the death of a loved one and that person isn't really necessarily gone. They often sort of hang around as a spirit guide. There are many people that even talk to their deceased loved ones in the dream state or get very direct messages. Um, I think that sometimes you have to be open to this perception because we often are sort of waiting for a telephone call from a dead person. And while that some of those things have been strangely documented, more often than not, the way contact will occur is through more of the emotional body or simply awareness itself. Often when we have a memory, a really strong memory of someone that we love or something that we did with them or an experience that we have had, often that is them in some way in contact with you in that sense. So it doesn't always have to be a literal thing. We have to remember that when someone's not in a physical body anymore, they're not really operating from that perspective or point of view. So they communicate in different ways. And so... I can, I can run through hosts of hundreds of stories 
of all kinds of interesting things that people, uh, clients and friends of mine have dealt with, with the death of a loved one that certainly validate the experience of survival after death. In fact, at a personal level, I'm dealing with certain financial juggling. And one of the things that I had always had with my dad was my dad was a Every time you talk to my dad, he'd want to give you information on how you should handle your finances and how you should handle your money. And, you know, truth be told, while at times it was a little irritating because he would run on and on and on, uh, which can sometimes be a Gemini characteristic, uh, my dad was a pretty smart man when it came to, to money and finances. He really worked hard and he was able to provide for his family and he really left my mom really quite comfortable in that sense. So he really had something to say. And I'm kind of catching a lot of influences that I think are from my father about certain maneuvers I need to make in relation to my, my finances right now and strengthening that position. So there's no question to me that, that it's coming through. Uh, more often than not, it is, it's a feeling or a knowingness or an awareness or a nudge or an impulse. And that's what I often remind people is the, is the influence from people when they're departed in that sense. They can't physically maneuver anymore. They can only suggest and guide and, uh, and maneuver a little bit, but we still make the choices about uh, what we decide to do. Uh, without question, that, that's always going to be the case. Even, even when I do a reading for someone, I always explain this to people. I'm not telling you what to do. The cards will often show you the best direction that you could potentially take uh, or wh what may probably happen in the future. But that still involves choice on the part of the person who is making those decisions. We, the, the whole point of the physical plane is about choice. In fact, even when it comes to people who go through extreme things like depression, they're choosing in some ways to be depressed. Uh, there are often opportunities to come out of the depression or impulses or pulls to, to do things that would bring that person out, but they're often ignoring those impulses in a sense. They're choosing not to do that because of fear or a sense of lack of self-worth or just not letting go of that particular condition. I can go on about the fact I'm not a big fan of antidepressants for this very reason because I don't think it, it helps people in the long run. It kind of keeps them flatlining. It becomes sort of an addiction. But that's a whole side note. I don't want to go too far off to, off to the right here or to the left by what most people would consider that to be about in that sense. So, uh, yeah, we, we do have contact. We do have connections in some ways with the deceased. But, again, we tend to want to keep that into the same uh, perspective or, or venue of how it happened in the physical. And that's where we limit ourselves in where that contact can occur. If you're driving in your car and you hear a song that reminds you of your father in that sense, then that is a contact and a connection. Even in a funny way, I illustrated that with the, with that, the silly song that I played by Paper Lace the night, uh, the night Chicago died. I had heard the song, and then I was getting into uh, flying in, and I found out that my connection was in Chicago and the song began to run through my head. And I'm telling you, at some weird level, that was some type of a connection with my father or my father's energy in that sense. So it isn't quite as strange as it may sound once you really, really begin to tune into these type of things in the first place. So I am very appreciative of all the, uh, uh, the, the letters, uh, the emails that I got, um, the cards, and the support. 
and sympathy cards that I got from my clients and people that have read the story. But I, I do like to say I'm really, I'm really in a good space about this in my sense. I think my father really completed his life task and did a really, really great job. And he is now kind of on to other things in that sense. And he, he left everyone really pretty well taken care of. In fact, we're having another little mini family reunion with some of my siblings in Las Vegas at the end of uh, July of this year. And I actually, uh, with a little help from my siblings, coaxed my mother to go. Um, that's a huge accomplishment for my mother to fly to Las Vegas. She's not the most, uh, the biggest fan of Las Vegas, but she's had difficulty traveling because my father has been uh, ill, and it's hard to kind of travel with my dad, carrying oxygen uh, tanks and getting a, you know, the uh, the wheelchair for him and all these various other factors that come into play. Now my mother is free in some respects to be able to kind of do some of the things she wasn't able to do. So we kind of conned her into going to Las Vegas. What's most adorable is my mom left my, uh, my dad left my mom relatively comfortable financially, but of course my mom is is really a little bit nervous about the money and the finances because she's not used to completely handling all of that. But she's a strong woman. She'll rise to the occasion, and she will uh, really inevitably, um, she's probably got quite a bit of time here still in that sense because she's pretty strong and healthy in that regard. I'm anticipating my mother living easily into her 90s, and she's only 75 now, so she'll be around for a while. So anyway, we're dragging her off to, to Las Vegas, and I'm going to, my joke with my family is that I'm going to teach my mother to gamble so that she can go through an entire inheritance before <laughs> she passes, so we don't get it. I think my siblings are going to strangle me if I do if I do that. But my mother is not a gambler, so that's not really an issue or a problem. So I think uh, we're going to kind of tie this up. I've only got a couple more minutes. I want to mention a few other things to anyone who's kind of caught the radio show. Again, I do the show uh, monthly. I will add a few extra shows here and there when I do interview shows with people in the uh, various elements of the metaphysical and health and healing fields. So occasionally we'll add a new show. But I'm going to continue the format for a while of reading my snake oil, my current monthly column, Snake Oil Live, and uh, giving you an opportunity to call in and ask questions or talk about this and also give me the opportunity to elaborate a little bit more on what I say. I do try to keep my columns reasonably short because I know that people are often busy and uh, you know, I found that the two-page thing is about enough for people to follow, even though, believe me, I can always say a lot more. It's just that I've got to kind of keep that reasonable. I will be uh, getting Snake Oil Volume 1 published uh, at the end of 2008 and into early 2009. Right now I currently have uh, my first book, Dirty Little Secrets, which is a collection of essays. Uh, about uh, relationships and metaphysics and spirituality and just the weirdness of life in that sense that I've gotten a lot of really positive reviews on. It is a self-published book. If you're interested in, in getting my book, you can uh, go to my website. Uh, also, if you're interested in a personal session with me or uh, even just getting on the snake oil list so you receive a monthly column by email, really feel free to contact me to go to my website or email me and I'll add you to that list. It doesn't cost you anything to get my monthly column. And uh, really, I I've gotten a lot of good feedback from this. So the website is http dot dot slash slash all that jazz. Go to web, web dot mac dot com slash Ventura Words. So again, that's uh, web dot mac dot com slash V-E-N 
T-U-R-A-W-O-R-D-S. If you want to go to the website, get information on the book, the column, personal sessions, all that good stuff. Or you can just email me directly at Ventura, S is in Sam, A is in Apple, G is in Guy at Yahoo.com. So this is Jim Ventura signing out. Thank you for tuning in and listening. And we will catch you the next time uh, I do uh, my next uh, live broadcast. Uh, also, if you go to uh, the website and access me by email and get on the snake oil blog list, you will also be able to uh, find out when the next broadcast is going to be so that you can catch it live. Uh, you can always catch the snake oil broadcast also, by the way, on an archive. But if you want to catch it live, I welcome live calls and uh, have no problem with kind of talking with people on the air. Uh, also, if you get on my mailing list, you'll also be able to find out when I'm doing classes and certain specials on sessions and various other things. It's, it's a great column, and I think people really enjoy it. I've already got about 600 readers, so I have no problem expanding that. And again, it's a free service. So don't hesitate to contact me and check that out. Okay, so till next time, thanks for tuning in to Snake Oil Radio. Cheers.